stepping of this man, Luke Johan. Bounce off from McNulty, and away he goes! Harry McNulty! Knight gets away, Knight, up to the 22, he won't be caught! Welcome to episode number six of the Alakadoos podcast. I'm Chris Knight and I'm joined once again by Dr. Luke Trahan. And today we have Scotland's one and only Jamie Farndale. Thank you for joining us, Jamie. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, thank you for having me. Now I'm excited to be on. I think uh, you did yourself down your last podcast when you said you only had a few listeners. I'm a big fan. Cheers, mate. I'll give you that 20 quid later, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, Doc? You uh, you keeping well? I'm all good. Thanks very much. We are up in the fourth week now of the GB camp. So uh, if anybody's wondering on any of the socials when the videos go out, why me and Farns have exactly the same look to the background of our rooms. We're not sitting next to each other. It's just in a hotel. It's confusing when you've got, well, all of us on the same Zoom call and we've all got the exact same background. <laughs> no idea who's speaking. Uh, is stuff still any easier in camp at the minute? Was is any restrictions eased, or is it still um, Gestapo, SS, Charlie Ata keeping you all in line? Still, uh, still pretty full on. Um, can't, yeah. If you're not kind of doing rugby or you're not doing the gym, then you got to keep moving. Is the general theme uh, or dinner? To be fair, starting the example, so pretty much the same. Um, it's fair enough when you see the consequences. Uh, I don't think many of the boys are too uh, uh, feel too hard done by it uh, at the moment. To be fair. And how's your calf? You picked up a little niggle, Doc. You all good? Getting better? Feels grand. To be fair, I had quite a lot of work to do on the weekend over it. Icing, bit of loading in the gym. I don't think I'm going to run this week, but um, it feels all good. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, next week start running again. Well, that's the problem with having calves. If you don't have calves, you can't injure them. So that's that's why I have the world's smallest calves. And Fanzo, your first week in camp, is it this last week or are you two weeks in now? Two weeks in now, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm buzzing to be here. Um, I think I saw, I missed out on Rio, what, like what, four or five years ago now. Um, and yeah, every sort of decision I've taken in rugby has been, what can I do to get myself to Tokyo? So yeah, it's cool. It's all feeling a bit more real now. Still, still a long way to go, um, but I'm just so excited to be here and be back with all the boys. Nice, mate. I think uh, Doc Doc's going to kick us off with the the first question, mate. What, what do you want to start us off with? Back and let's start right back at the beginning. How did uh, young Jamie Farndell get into sevens in the first place? Um. So, well, because yeah, I went out of school, I went into 15s. Um, I actually found out this week that I was the um, youngest debutant for Edinburgh rugby. <laughs> um, really? Wow. I knew, yeah, they put out a tweet this week saying someone was the, um, Patrick Harrison made his debut and he was the fifth youngest. And I knew I was around about, so I texted the media guy and said, um, what are the stats? And yeah, apparently I was the youngest. Um, How old are you? I was 17. Um and- how many months or days or literally? I can't remember exactly, but it was against Cardiff. It was actually Martin Williams' last ever game. Wow. Uh, <laughs> cool. um, but yeah, no, I broke my leg pretty soon after that. I was out for a year and then got back and then had a hamstring injury and had a, you know, a couple of years um, really not playing. And then came back and was still been in and around Edinburgh, but um, got an opportunity then to go over to the sevens where um, Callum McRae had just taken over. And yeah, got into it. I had a, a year of training with them before being sort of selected and then got selected for a tournament. And then that was me sort of involved in everyone for, for a good, good run of tournaments. Didn't you do like 30 odd on the bounce or 42 on the bounce or something crazy like that? I think it was something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I came in just as, so they, it, it sort of, they sort of had been this seven squad um, that would be pretty successful. Um, but the, the structure of the program, changed a bit and they ended up having seven core contracted sevens boys and then they'd sort of bring in edinburgh glasgow players to, from you know to supplement the squad which works quite well you've got you've got your core of boys that know the game and then from that you're bringing in players that it, it benefits them because i mean look at the successful scotland team at the moment how many of them have come through sevens i think any team over the past 20 years you've got half of the squad that have been through the sevens program so you've got all these 15s players coming through the program with a core of sevens players. Um, and we have a lot of success as well. 
I don't I don't think Scotland make anywhere near a bigger fuss about that, or at least we don't hear about it. Um even when you talk to people, that's the one kind of saving grace often with the Welsh Sevens programme, even though the programme's not done that great in the last few years, people are like, oh yeah, but so-and-so's played, so-and-so's played, our oh, Tipperick went in for the Commonwealth Games, but there's loads of examples in Scotland that I just don't think it gets shouted about enough. Yeah, it's probably, it's even more important in Scotland because we've only got two pro teams. So when you think they're full up of players, there's not that many opportunities. Um, so as a third pro team and, you know, um, you know, you can be, be a bit cynical about it and say, well, and also they can cap players pretty young. You know, you yeah. get a, a young player that's got dual nationality, you get them on a seventh pitch, they're Scottish. So <laughs> that's quite useful for, for the SOU team as well. It, it does have it, you know, the sevens programme has definitely shown its value. I was going to ask about that, you know, how important is sevens as a tool, as a development tool in Scotland and how much is it used as a pathway into 15s or is it seen as its own sort of tool in its own right? I think fundamentally one of the problems with sevens at the moment is that it's, I think commercially there's not as much um, done as could be done. You think you've got this, you've got these huge crowds, you've got it on Sky Sports, however many millions of people watching. Um, and yet the programme uh, runs at a loss for countries that, so, so a lot of countries can can run because they've got Olympic funding or a home tournament. But for Scotland and for Wales as well, when you don't have those two things, the programme actually runs at a loss. So, you know, that is, it's then when it's, you know, rugby is ultimately a business. And when you look at a part of your business that's losing money, yeah, you can justify it with development, whatever. Um, but it's always going to be, it's always going to be scrutinized um, a bit through that. Um, so I think there, there are developments and I think COVID has been, you know, there's been some good conversations happening about how sevens can be commercialized better. Um, you know, whether you've got, um, there's things like the F1 approach where they've got Netflix involved, you know, new revenue streams through that. You've got the idea of, um, you know, a franchise running for half the season where players can go and play in franchises and then play for their countries for the other half of the season, or, you know, even just a better use of sponsorship. I think you've got this global sport um, that just, there's, there's more to get out of it, I think. Um and yeah, it has. It's, it's cast a bit of a shadow of doubt over um, Scotland at some times. Um, they, luckily, the SOU backed it at the time. It almost they almost got rid of it. They've decided to back it, and then since then they have fully backed it. Um, and it's it's paid them back in terms of development and the players that have come through, and even the two, you know the two tournaments we won, and even the season that that's that second 2017 season you know we were we were right up there in, in, a, in a lot of tournaments i think we were first second third fourth um so yeah it's, it's, it has been a great tool for scotland so obviously you've played now for so long with scotland sevens who are some of the uh players that you either enjoyed playing with the most or the best players you played with um either still within the sevens or kind of gone on to play 15s as well uh you'll both know robo pretty well um, but Robbo was awesome with me. He was similar position. Well, he was the same position as me and really took me under his wing. Um, and you both know off the field, he was such a character. Like when you're away <laughs> in a field with him, you know, he's always got a bit of crack, you know, stories, jokes. He's always pulling, pulling jokes on people. And he was awesome um, off the field. But then he really, he really helped me on the field as well. Um, you know, I was this young guy coming in and, you know, there were some games I was, you know, starting ahead of him and, he never let that phase him, and he always um, he always worked as hard as he could to, to help me um, in a way that I think you know you easily could could not have. Um, so a real testament to him as a guy. He was he was awesome with me. Yeah, Robbo was good with me when I came on. When I first broke on, he was sort of one of the first people to have a chat with me, and he was always there, like just just a great bloke. You could always go up and have a good good yarn with him, and have a good a bit bit of banter with him. And that Celtic relationship, I think, helped. But he was just generally one of the the nice guys on on the series. I'd say. Yeah, all the teams loved him, didn't they? I mean, he was one of those in the in the dinner hall. They'd always be chatting away to everyone, and yeah. I've never heard so many dad jokes out of someone as well in our first GEV cycle. There's a couple of absolute pearlers he was bringing out, which uh, still tickle me now when I think about them. Like, I d- do you remember the one where he's like, oh, does this yogurt smell funny to you? I can't remember. I think he might have got cubby with that. And oh, it absolutely tickles me now. What did he do? Like, it. just stick it in his face, did he? Yeah. They, uh, I can't remember who did it with him. Someone, 
Oh, one of the other Scottish boys must have been Riddler as well. It's like, oh, that does smell a bit funny. And Cubby, what do you think of this? And then Cubby, I think it was Cubby. Someone ended up with yogurt all over their face. Just, you know, the simplest jokes are the best ones. Like. But he's got an armory of those jokes that will just pull out. They're the exact same every single time, but that makes you even better because everyone around knows exactly what's coming. <laughs> yeah. and the, you know, the, the rubber tur, he'd have one, he'd ask, he'd say, oh, you've got... Um, Fillings, don't you? The person would be like, no, I don't think I have fillings. You go, let's see. Mouth wide open, fistful of rubber crumb in the mouth. Oh. <laughs> Savage. <laughs> <laughs> He's just got hundreds of them, though, isn't he? Absolutely brilliant. On the, uh, you said something like Drive to Survive. I've been watching that recently. How, how good is that? And how good would that be for something like the World 7 Series? I do. And I think as well, like, I think, because if they, they, with the Olympics, you know it, it's going to be this moment where, you know, it's, we live in such an interconnected world. And yet for the last year, everyone's, every country has been sort of isolating and staying apart. And the Olympics could be this moment where everyone sort of comes together and you've got all these countries coming together and competing. And like, it could be this moment that's bigger than sport. Um, and I think sevens especially encapsulates that the most, you know, it's, it's a team sport and it's, you know, the camaraderie is there and, you know, everyone gets on with everyone. And it, I think it will, as you say, some sort of behind-the-scenes access, especially with sevens and the way it tours the world, you know, now more than ever, I think is is pretty important. They did um, start that in Dubai. They did. Um, so do you know they changed the media team around. Uh, obviously, seven seven eight seventy were doing it. They'd done a quality job. Um, quite a few Welsh guys run that, and then the new company that came in, which also helped have some Welsh guys in as well. When we were talking in Dubai before everything started to kind of get closed down later on in the season. That's what they'd started doing, um, which I thought was a really good move from World Rugby, but obviously we're not going to see that now. But I agree, it would have been quality if they could carry, could have carried that on, taken it to the Olympics. I think, remember the kind of mini documentary that got put out about Fiji winning it? And I yeah. think, like you said, that kind of um, encapsulates everything to do with the Olympics, not only with how they competed and won that gold medal, but then also the story of like that's the was it I think that's the only gold medal they've ever won in Fiji. Small country, absolutely mad about the sport. It's such a great story, um, and I think I, I'm not sure what that YouTube video is up to now, but it was on crazy amount of views straight away, which just shows it it really engaged people with it. So uh, yeah, I agree with you, fans. So there's definitely scope for them to be, do more stuff like that. I think so. Like there's so much behind the scenes footage that people don't know about so much that goes into sort of the tournament, the lead up, the you know, post-match. And I think there's so many different dynamics, so many different sort of battles, so many different relationships that you can focus on. I mean, the 16 teams, you know, everyone's fighting for different positions. Everyone's got different issues. You know, there's been issues with funding. There's been issues in Kenya with players not having contracts. So there's, there's so many different things you could focus on. I think it'd be absolutely class for the, for the series and sort of, getting its sort of name out there and promoting it a bit more. But yeah, debate for another time. Fans, you've been, you know, you've been part of both uh, Cup wins in 2016, 2017. You've played in a World Cup, Commonwealth Games. You've captained the uh, seven side. You know, looking back, do you have any favourite memories uh, playing in a Scotland sevens jersey? So yeah, to me, the two wins at Twickenham uh, were quite different, quite different experiences. I think, the first one in 2016, you know, we'd never even been to a semi-final. Um, suddenly found ourselves there, one, we're in the final. And then the way we came back from, I, I can't remember, I think it was sort of 16, 17 points down and we came back to win it. Last play of the game was incredible. You know, it was just this amazing moment where we'd done something that we thought was impossible. You know, we believed in, but when it actually happened, it was absolutely amazing. Um Whereas the second year was very different to me in terms of we'd performed well all season. We'd been there or thereabouts. We'd been in you know the final the week before and we'd come third and fourth the same season. And then on that day, the, the, the one thing we'd always sort of talked about and, and targeted was beating New Zealand. No Scottish side had ever and ever has since beaten a New Zealand side in the history of rugby. So that was always something we targeted. Um, it was the last game for a few players. We already mentioned Robbo. It was his last tournament, um, Scott White, people like that. Um, and in the quarterfinal, we drew New Zealand. Um, again, they went up 21-0 and we came back in the second half to, to win that game. You got a double in that game, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah. 
but it was it was so so emotionally it was quite funny because it was something we'd spoken a lot about as a group was how we approach weekends emotionally um and the season before i think we'd been you know when we won games we were at the absolute highs and then we were when we lost games we were raging you know wouldn't watch the clips because we were too hurt and it, it just wasn't sustainable like when you're playing six games in a weekend you're physically knackered and on top of that we were making ourselves mentally knackered as well um and we were papering over the cracks when we when we lost and we were you know ignoring things when we won so we had this chat and we said right we need to be more emotionally stable between games we need to be more efficient with our time and we we introduced a routine that was sort of coming off doing the ice baths and um, reviewing the game previewing the opposition eating right and just parking emotion for that moment um and we'd sort of built on that through the year and it came to this this final and we beat New Zealand and like should have been like you know absolutely it's something we'd aimed for for years we were the first team in history coming back from that come back you know as you said I, i'd scored the winning try and i've been you know probably one of the greatest moments of my life um but we came off the pitch and we went in and we just got into the routine and we like prepared well we ate what we need to eat we we did our review we did our preview we, we went on to beat usa in the semi and then beat england in the final at twickenham and it just turned it into this it's oh you just can't be topped as one of the you know the best day of my rugby career bar none um and it didn't really hit me what we'd done until like two weeks later. I'd part the emotion so much that I was sort of driving two weeks later and it sort of hit me like, wow, this actually happened. And I think if we hadn't focused so much on controlling our emotions, that day wouldn't have happened. We, we, we maybe would have beaten New Zealand and then probably that would have been that. We'd have you know lost to USA, but it would always be, you know, oh, we beat New Zealand and that, that was a great day, wasn't it? But it was a strange thing because, it, as I say, it didn't hit me till ages like a, a couple of weeks after but I'm so glad that we we approached it like that because what a day looking back on um it was absolutely incredible was there any added sort of pressure or emotion because you'd done it the year before because you were defending champions did that help or hinder you and, and the fact that people like Mark Robertson Scott White were retiring even Callum McRae were retiring after that game was there an added pressure or did you sort of like you said you talked about that emotional side parking it did you feel because you'd done it the year before you were in control and, and you felt it was something that you could easily overcome because you played Twi uh, England in the final at Twickenham that's no easy feat you know home tournament for them it absolutely felt like I was never in doubt we were going to win it um and it, as I say, it, it felt so different to the year before where we came into this final thinking, you know, this is amazing, but should we be here? Like, you know, we made this, had this amazing win, which is a very different experience. As I say, this, this 2017, I had no doubt we were going to, we were going to go on and win that. Um, there were so many, you know, there were boys that were retiring, you know, Callum, Katie McRae was, was moving away. Uh, I think it was um, Riddler's 50th tournament as well. There were just all these, all these, little things that added up to just it just felt special and um yeah I I don't think I never felt pressure I, I just felt like I just felt like it was going to happen and it did and what 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 was the what were the celebrations like afterwards was it a sweeter victory because you turned over England at Twickenham massive yeah uh, I was actually chatting because me and Doc were talking about this because Morgan Williams is in with the team now um, and I was chatting to him at dinner the other night because I remember I was speaking to him and he was saying he remembers thinking that we weren't celebrating hard enough. <laughs> so he came over into our group. I remember we, we were definitely celebrating. And, uh, and this young Welsh lad, I think he must have made his debut or there or thereabouts. He was young. He was only, I think he's only just in, he was 18, maybe just in 19, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and he wandered into our, we had this sort of corner of the, of the pub where we were drinking away. And he comes in and he's celebrating with us. I remember Magnus Bradbury was there. He sort of ripped his shirt open, and uh, yeah, it's very funny seeing him now, years later, <laughs> and being like, "I remember you coming in," and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to come celebrate with you boys." Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I think Babs carried him home that night as well. He lost both his shoes, <laughs> top ripped in half, <laughs> but he had a, probably had the best night of his life. Um, the other thing from that night that um, I still have the videos of it, which I think are amazing, is when. Um, Obviously, you if you play in the final, you end up being probably the last two teams that end up coming to either like across the road to the pub or wherever teams go out. Um, and do you remember everybody started singing Flower of Scotland when you boys came into the pub, which was a real surreal experience because we'd also just been uh, serenaded by the Honey Badger. Uh, 
uh, doing a song as well, all on his own. And uh, uh, obviously, we were we were we were very happy. You guys won that final. I thought it was amazing, um, especially with the boys retiring. Uh, you've already talked about how um, good lads they are, and uh, pretty special them to retire in that way. But I thought that was amazing. You guys walking into the the pub and everyone just straight away, straight into Flower of Scotland. It was class. I remember that because I wasn't playing, but I came up because I was I was leaving that year, and I remember it was us Scotland and Aussies in a pub just opposite the um, the hotel, as it always is. That's three teams going at it, and then yeah, Honey Badger give that song uh, or that whatever thing. And then did you tie my tie, was it tie me kangaroo down? Yeah, it was brilliant, and then we were all singing Flower of Scotland when you guys come in. It was uh, unreal. Unreal. Going back to 2016, though, you know, you said it was your first semi-final. It was your first final. Again, talk us through that game. What are the emotions like going into the final during the game? Because you were 26-15 down with a minute to go. Um, and then, you know, afterwards, what were the emotions like winning your first ever World Series event? It felt like we went in sort of, we knew we could do it, but, it, it you know, it was so different to that second year where, where we felt in control. It was more like we'd never even been to a semi-final. So even that felt, you know, strange. Um, so to get into a final, it felt like we had nothing to lose. Um, and it felt like, you know, absolutely we're going to go for it. But South Africa had beaten us pretty much every time they played us that season. You know, it was, it was a big, big task. I don't think we definitely didn't go in expecting to win, <laughs> put it that way. Um, and... Yeah, we. I remember that we did the first half. I think went pretty well for us, but then South Africa just pulled away, and it was it was the last ever ten minute final, um, and we needed every minute of those ten minutes. <laughs> um, and they, yeah, and then just uh, Whitey, the way he took that quick restart, um, it's something that's sort of gone down as this maverick move, but it's something he did in training all the time. Uh, you know, he knew exactly what he was doing. Um, he kept an eye on them, and he, he we scored that second last try he took the ball he knew exactly where he was going what he was doing he got back to halfway took the quick restart he actually had a broken rib at the time that he'd broken in Paris I think the week before getting through this game and he if you if you watch him he does the grubber and he lands on the ball on his rib um goes over onto a side pops the ball up to Dougie um Flem made a great run down the wing and then Dougie finishes it off um and it was just I think almost disbelief um, you know, it definitely wasn't this um, assured feeling that we had the, the year after. It was just pure, yeah, disbelief, joy. Um, I just I remember just running on on the on the pitch and everyone sort of jumping up and down together. It was oh, it was it was amazing. Yeah, love that. Absolutely love. That. I remember being in the stands for that one as well. I was just like I was cheering so hard, and when Dougie went over, I was like. It was just an unbelievable feeling just seeing because I, I played with a lot of you guys and just seeing the sort of the way you've gone, the sort of turbulent seasons you've had, and just seeing you sort of cap it off with a, a win, your first ever series win, I thought was absolutely incredible. Um so obviously we're up in GB Camp Farnzo. Um kind of how have you found the process from when it when it got announced to how we're sitting here now in, in the third, fourth camp? Uh I mean, from when it got announced, I suppose the, the past year is, is an important part of the group that's here now. Um, and we've had some good sort of conversations uh, in terms of where we've got to. I mean, obviously, it's been a pretty vulnerable time. and I think vulnerability is important. Um, I think, you know, through no one's fault for the last year, sevens hasn't been able to be played. And when you're employed to play sevens, it's pretty scary. You know, it puts you in a pretty vulnerable place. Um, and... You know, I think the boys that are here now in this group, um, it's testament to their character that, that they've made it to this point. They've made it through this past year. And there's a sort of deeper um, deeper sort of resilience, I suppose. Uh, and I think if, you know, if the programme, if COVID hadn't been here and this programme had run last year, it would be, it would be very, it would be medal focused. Um, and that, you know, that that's great. But I think there's almost more of a, of a perspective now. Um, we're very lucky to have sort of, built the values of this program and you know because of covid it's it's been quite a sort of pioneering approach we've had to use zoom and phone calls and um and whatnot but we've not we've not inherited 
a program, you know, quite often you join a team and it's like, this is how we do things. This is why we do things. Whereas we've had all these really important conversations about our values uh, and about what drives us, why we play rugby. Um, and I think especially with the perspective of, of this past year, it's almost like, to me anyway, I don't know how you feel, Doc, but there's like, to me, there's like an aim and an outcome. And to me, the outcome, of course, is, is the gold medal. Um, but there's almost this aim to me that's stronger of these these values and this this journey that we've been through. Um, and to me, the, the outcome of that will be a gold medal. But it's almost like a like a deeper um, deeper deeper drive. There's something stronger there than just coming in and playing rugby and trying to win. Um, and it's exciting, you know. I, I think all the experiences of the past year have, have us in a great place in terms of especially in terms of that resilience and and all the other values that we've talked about i think so i think there's the um the bigger picture to it as well uh in terms of it's taken such a big hit over the years sevens and we chat about a little bit earlier about how you can often run programs at a loss yet there's massive kind of potential for it i'm really hoping this gb program is a bit of a springboard just to show how how it can be done in a good way to get the the outcome of say meddling but also have the other effect of promoting sevens getting everybody excited opening up opportunities for businesses for players for teams um and i think well i'm hoping it might be one of these things in say like five to ten years time you look back and um obviously having the corona shutting the programs down and the unions making decisions i'm kind of hoping people will be like oh but what you got out the other end of it was kind of a reformed way of doing seven so that it makes money it's still exciting and it's beneficial for everyone young kids unions getting the development done people coming to the tournaments um so i see that as being a massive part of this gb program as well do you think it needs more sort of commercial funding then it needs to be sort of come away from the unions as a separate ent- entity sevens? Yeah, I think as we touched on at the beginning, I think sevens, there's so much commercial value to me. Um, you know, you just look at the, the viewer numbers and the people that are interested in, in, in sevens specifically. And, and as a sort of um, a way to get fans interested in, in the sport, look at the Olympics, look at the way that, um sevens has grown over the past few years it's such an easy sport to get drawn into and to to reach new markets um i think there's there's definitely more commercial ways to to do things um and yeah that you know especially in the short term that this gb option is 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 a great option for um for getting boys playing and and it is an exciting brand really it's it's almost got that sort of lion's feel to it um it's yeah it's it's a re- it's a really exciting really exciting program yeah i think i th- i agree i think there's definitely the commercial opportunities on your point there of whether it needs to go away from the unions i don't think it needs to fully go away from the unions and be its own separate entity i think it's a it's quite a good structure where it is now where there's still the buy in from the three unions um but it does feel much more like it's its own thing as well and I think that's obviously it's obviously opened up the the lottery funding and the different bits that have come from there. But I think that could just be the start. And if you get people who have got a good kind of business brain, good marketing brain on them, you can see I I don't see why sevens couldn't be in the same kind of marketing space as things like the UFC, which everybody gets behind because it's like filmed, it's all backstage, it's exciting, it's so easy just to watch and know what's going on. Um, even sports like golf, like the F1, like you talked about, there's all these global sports which are really easy to follow and easy to get in. Um, and I think sevens, sevens could be in a really good spot in kind of five years' time um, with a bit more commercial behind it. Yeah, I think it needs the commercial to survive because the main reason why a lot of people leave sevens for 15 seems to be financially, you know, the, the money isn't as good, the contracts aren't as long, the security, and as you get older, you have families, you have kids, you have mortgages, you need support, and at the end of the day, you know, people like Sam Cross, I spoke to him, he said that's the reason he left because financially he couldn't deal with getting a one-year contract, you know, one month from the season ends that potentially couldn't really pay his mortgage, so I think it needs some sort of funding to help it compete with 15. So it, it keeps that core squad of boys. So 
the game develops in the country and the sort of the sport progresses right at the minute. I think in, in especially in the UK regions and in countries where players, it's used as development tool and people sort of leave it, leave the pathway. And that sort of sets you back to square run really, I think. So that's my take on it anyway. No, I agree with that. I think it could definitely work. I, I don't think it needs to be one or the other in terms of like a completely professional game on its own or a development pathway. I think both can work together. Uh, Jamie kind of touched on it earlier in terms of like you have a core group of sevens boys, then you have 15s lads coming through it. Um, I always look back to say how New Zealand do it. Obviously, very easy to look at them as a programme. They're always quality at it. They have the players that play sevens for two years and then they're tearing up in like the rugby championship or whatever it is, like Caleb Clark, quality example of that now. Um, but I don't see how other countries, especially countries with such big unions like we have in terms of Wales, Scotland and England, how that couldn't work where they compete at the highest level and then they still bring through four to five kind of under-20s or boys just out of the under-20s through, um, does everything, skills, travelling, makes people grow up. Um, it's tough mentally, physically, as Fonzo's touched on there. Um, in these tournaments, we're on day two. Um, I think the learning is just unbelievable for a young player, and I think it is uh, untapped, is what I'd probably say is the situation in Britain at the moment. Yeah, I agree. I think... The, the 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 way of you know having core players really does help. I think when you have too big a seven squad, it's really got to be a performance squad. Um, you know when you've got a big squad, the the pro teams aren't going to be going right. Well, we need to give the sevens players um, some of our players. Whereas when when you've only got, I mean, when I first joined, there were literally seven of us core players. So in order to send a squad of twelve, we needed extra players to come in from somewhere. So that really put the pressure on and. And Kitty was quite good at the politics. He'd go to Edinburgh, Glasgow, and say the player's not playing, or you know he could he could benefit from from this or that. And as Luke says, there's there's so many benefits that that come from a young player going away and, and learning from from this environment. Um, and yeah, having having a strong group a group of core sevens players to which you add some quality young fifteens players that are developing but have you know amazing talent. Um, just benefits everyone, and you can you can create a, a really good program that um, creates a lot of value for everyone. No, no, I, I agree. Then I think you've made some really good points. I think it's something that we need to sort of acknowledge going going forward. I think the, the unions need to acknowledge that. So we just touched upon sort of this year's camp. How you've been excited about coming in and how you found it. You know, roll back the clock to sort of 2016. Uh, you were included in that Olympic training squad. Sort of, what was that experience like? I spoke to Crossy, and he said it was one of the most professional setups he's been involved in. You know, what was it like for you? And um, any good stories that to come from that that camp? Oh, I look back on that, you know, period as being some of the most enjoyable rugby I've ever ever played. Um, just in terms of the group dynamic that was created, um, and especially um, we so we had we split into two teams. I think there were the the Royals and the, and the Blues. Was it the Blues? It was the the lion, uh, the lion. That was it, yeah. Um, but we were, I was in the Royals team, or the Oils team, and uh, it ended up being Oil. Oils. I think uh, <laughs> it was the final team that went. Um, you know, it was a, it was a funny one because the team was named before the last tournament. I think there was something with Rugby Europe where we were allowed to play in Rugby Europe, but we had to play in all the all the tournaments. Whereas the team was being named before the last tournament, so we had these two teams. Um, and the team ended up being named. It was, I think, it was something like eleven out of the twelve in the Lions were going, and one out of the twelve in the Oils were going. Um, so we went into this last tournament after the selection day, and obviously a few boys had a few days to get over the hurt and whatever. And we met the Lions in the final, uh, and we beat them. It was, it was one of the most physical games I've ever played in. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we beat them in the final. I remember that being absolutely awesome. Um, yeah. But it was. It was some of the most enjoyable rugby I've, I've ever played. To be fair, the Royals team, uh, I think we only lost one game the whole four tournaments we did. And that was in a drop goal. So, and uh, I'm trying to remember who, maybe, I think it was maybe two from our team that went because I think Rodders was in ours, wasn't he? Rodders, AJ. Is that it? I think that was it. Yeah. And what was that dynamic like? The two, was that that sort of bin juice versus the, the classic? 
was that the, the sort of dynamic that it was or was it balanced i don't know about you i never i never thought so at all until selection um and it almost felt like it just so happened rather than it definitely wasn't ever like a first team second team to me i think the only time i so remember so we did the three rugby europe tournaments didn't we and then we did that one random one in alliance park um and that was the only tournament that you could shuffle the teams around with again. Um, and I think that would have been, for me, one of the opportunities to play with some of the other halfbacks. And I ended up not playing with them. So in my head, then I was like, oh, it feels like he's made his decision up way before this has happened. Um, so that was the only thing that I ever kind of kind of saw, to be fair. You never knew who he was. Simon Amor was very clever, wasn't he? You never knew what was going on in his head you're always guessing yeah the my favorite thing about him is when he just downs a whole bottle of water before every meeting never seen something so strange in my life <laughs> then you be like all right guys all right guys <laughs> unless you do like those kids do where they like <laughs> hit it and it just disappears you would just start downing a drink every single time mad man didn't know when jenkins end up in his room after a, a night out what, what happened there that was after that same tournament it was him. It was in Morgan again. I think it was him and Morgan that got called out. So these were these, these two young kids because we needed the numbers. You know, we'd been committed to this tournament and I think there were maybe some players that were injured or not able to go and we had to fulfil the, the tournament. So those two boys got called in to go out and play. Um, and we had a big night out afterwards. Um, and yeah, I think uh, Owen Jenkins, did he, not, he woke up in the morning and he was in bed with Simon Amor and a pair of budgie smugglers. <laughs> that was like having been this 18-year-old kid called out to call play with GB <laughs> waking up in the morning <laughs> like that was uh, yeah uh, yeah he's he's done well done well his career yeah. since hasn't he he's uh he's pushed on to the dragons and uh yeah he, he's done really well and was that like a, a strong part of the last camp obviously it's different this camp because social distancing but you know the off-field bonding the nights out was that an integral part of of of, of that last sort of 2016 camp um I don't think so I remember well Moscow I got injured and then there was a, a bit of a few beers there, but after that, there wasn't really. I think we didn't really drink. Yeah, um, it was it was more on the on the playing. It was more. Um, I wouldn't say the probably the big difference was it was the uh, so the Welsh and the Scottish boys all stayed in the hotel, and a lot of the times we stayed over the weekend as well. And I think that was a really big thing in terms of uh, the so it's still the social element of it, like spending time to it, together, going into the middle of London, just doing stuff. We're just having a kick about with a football on Saturday, maybe. Um, it's those little things which I think are so important to building a team environment. So it's obviously quite difficult to do it now in this current environment. But for me, that was probably one of the best things. Like you just learn so much about these boys you've been playing rugby with for like the last couple of years like you would have a chat after games and in tournaments but spending proper time with them um and i think every single person in that in that gb squad last time around brought something uh either like funny or unique or just something that just added to the group as a whole and that bigger kind of social element um was probably one of my most was one of my most favorite memories alongside like we touched on the rugby was the highest level of sevens rugby um i've been involved with so you, you mentioned you picked up an injury in the first tournament unfortunately that lasted quite a while and the result was that you end up didn't get selected for rio which is obviously hugely disappointing how much has that disappointment driven you over the past five years and sort of pushed you towards returning back to sevens now and you know trying to fight for this place in tokyo yeah massively um I think, yeah, it was a funny one because it was my first season of sevens and uh, I knew the Olympics was happening at the end of the year, but all I was focused on was was playing for Scotland. Um, I ended up having a really good season personally and, and then obviously that Twickenham victory was the last tournament before Rio. So suddenly, you know, I've been selected and came into this camp on a real high, you know, full of confidence thinking, you know, I've got a shot at going here. Um, and then that first, first tournament in Moscow uh, had a hamstring injury and I got a scan on it and it came back and they said, oh, it's going to be, you know, eight to 10 weeks. And at this point, um, I think it was it was eight weeks was was the prognosis. And it was eight weeks until the actual um, event in Rio. So the medics sort of said, you know, you can just go back up to Scotland and, 
get on with your rehab and, and you know get over things there focus on next season or you know you're welcome to stay down here and rehab it if you want um and I remember having to think about it and thinking I've got nothing you know it's just pre-season when I head up there's no real rush so I thought I've I'm not losing anything if I take a risk here so I said I'd like to stay down and try and rehab it and just see where I get to um if there's a risk to take I'll take it and you know this is the Olympics this is this is now something I'm you know so focused on um and I worked really hard with the physio alley little um and I got back in three and a half or four weeks. So, you know, massively ahead of schedule just through, I just did everything I possibly could. Um, and I got back fit for the last tournament in Exeter before selection. So Exeter was the Saturday, Sunday selection was on the Monday. Um, and I played some of the best sevens I think I've ever played. So I got back up the road and I went from this emotional roller coaster of coming in feeling pretty confident to then all hopes absolutely going to then sort of slowly building up, building up. And then I got to this place where I thought, you know, I, I could be on again here. Um, and then, yeah, the next day, um, one by one, we went in to, to speak to, to, to Simon Amor. And unfortunately, you know, I, I hadn't done quite enough um, and didn't get selected. Um, and it was, it was really, it was tough to deal with just the way that, yeah, the way that my emotions had been through that whole period um, of sort of building, building up again and then ending up, um, ending up uh, you know not going my way in the end um it was pretty tough to deal with um and took you know a bit of time to get over and ever since yeah every decision I've made in rugby has been how am I going to get to Tokyo um so it absolutely has been my number one driver since uh since that um you know most enjoyable rugby of my life um since then I've just been yeah I've been driving towards towards where I am now you made a decision to to go to 15s you know what was behind that and were you always planning to you know you just said everything was geared up towards coming back for Tokyo so I'm guessing that was only a short-term fix and after Tokyo where do you see your future lying? Yeah I was I was very clear um Richard Cockerell the coach at Edinburgh has been so good with me and I was very clear to him you know the first time I um sort of went into Edinburgh and I've been I've been between Edinburgh and um sevens for pretty much the last 10 years I've done, you know, been in and out of both programs. Um, but yeah, especially the last four years, I, I spoke to Cockers and said, you know, this is absolutely my number one priority. And he's been, he's been so good with it. Um, you know, last year, you know, I was obviously fully contracted with Edinburgh, but he allowed me to go and play in Vancouver, which ended up being the last tournament, you know, Vegas and Vancouver, the last two before COVID. So, you know, it ended up being massively important that I did play in those two for, for being here. Um, so he's been, he's been really good with me. Um, it's good. Edinburgh is. A, I love Edinburgh uh, as, a, as you know, as a, as a team. The, the boys are awesome. They're all the boys I grew up playing with. You know, some of my best friends are in that team. So it's been awesome having a couple of years playing with them. Um, but yeah, no, my, my absolutely my goal, and I've been very clear with it. My goal has always been has always been Tokyo, um, and 15s has you know, Caucasus has been really good in, in working around that with me, um, and even now you know letting me me come down here. Um, so yeah, um, I, I definitely owe him owe him a lot for for being so so good with me. That's class that he's got behind your sort of goal and your dreams because you have some coaches which will say they'll do that, but they sort of say that just as a way to get you in. And it's great that he's been fully supportive and he's sort of can see the benefit that it has not only for him, I guess, but if you're happy with what they're doing, if you've both got a sort of you're fitted on the same track, then it means you're going to perform better for Edinburgh knowing that you've got that opportunity to go back to the sevens. What What is the contract situation with Edinburgh at the minute? Are you, are you still signed with them? No, well, as of um, the end of the Olympics, you know, I, I don't have a job, <laughs> which we talked about vulnerability. Um, you know, I've been in a, in a 15s environment where even with COVID, they're playing week in, week out. There's opportunities, there's games, you know, there's, there's a lot there. And I've, walked away from that to come here um, because this is where I want to be. And I've walked in eyes wide open, you know, the, I may or may not get picked. The Olympics may or may not happen. You know, it's, it's very difficult to, to play, um, you know, with 16 teams from around the world in one location and staying in a hotel, you know, with COVID it is, there's, there's a lot that can go wrong. And yet this has been my driver and yeah, it, it puts me in a vulnerable position contract wise. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have a job after the Olympics. Um, hopefully this turns into something um, you never know what will happen you know with with this moving forward um, but yeah as I said eyes wide open here I am um, yeah 
got to commend you on that, mate. That is a, a huge decision, but it's good to see that you've got a goal and you've got a dream and you're chasing it. And all I can do is applaud you for that. So, mate, I'm 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 rooting for you now to get back in. And you know, if you do get a contract, is the hope to get a contract with with GB? If it, if it does go for the rest of the season, and then after that, would you look to go back into the sevens environment, or would you go? back to 15s and try and pursue other aspirations in, in the 15 format of the game? Um, so, I mean, obviously the, the news of GB competing in the five tournaments after the Olympics um, seems to be good news. What what the programme will look like, we, we don't really know. I think it's it's a case of getting this programme to the Olympics and then after that sort of saying, right, well, you know, what, what sort of programme can we put in place for these World Series tournaments? Um, but it's, you know, that, that definitely excites me. Um, as Doc says, playing at the highest level in a GB sevens team is is would just be awesome, uh, and doing that for for the rest of rest of this year, and then next year, you know, I think the plan is for it to go back to to the countries, to, and then you've got a, a World Cup and a Commie Games. Um, so it's an exciting year and a half, two years ahead. Um, that I would love to be playing sevens. Um, you know, if it worked out that way, that, that as I say, there's just so much up in the air because of the the, the global situation. But um, if it did work out that way, that would that would you know that would be great. You're also third on the all-time try scoring list. So is that is that a goal you're after? You're, you're three behind um, Fleming, and you're sort of I think 30, 30 odd behind uh, Andrew Turnbull. Is that a record you you'd want to take? Uh, not really. I think if, no, if I've you know, when I get back playing for Scotland, it's just, I don't know, it's not something, it's something that just sort of happened. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't really know what the situation would be with with how the programme will be going forward. Hopefully it goes back to Scotland and, and it's a, you know, it's a it's a great programme and we there's a lot more games to play. Um, and, you know, something like that might might happen. That would, that would be cool if that did happen, definitely. I want to ask as well, do you have aspirations to play? Obviously, most people do, but if the opportunity arises to go back to 15s, you know, would you want to look to push for a, a spot in international 15s? Do you think that's something that could be accomplished for you? Uh, it's, I mean, it's always a funny one in Scottish rugby because there's only two pro teams. Um, you know, once once you start, you know, I had a few, a few games with Edinburgh um, and, you know, felt I played pretty well. Um and you know, things funny things happen with with injuries and whatnot. And um, you know, there's all sorts of stories throughout Scottish rugby of, of um, players ending up going on tours and playing and and whatnot. But um, no, I don't I don't plan too far ahead in terms of that. I think um, I definitely had my my Tokyo goal as sort of a long term goal. But other than that, I definitely take each game as it comes. Um, and you know, if, if you if you take that approach, I think. Um, you know, not looking too far ahead. Things things sometimes do happen, but um, yeah, I don't I don't really focus on on too far past that. So it's a good way to be. But like I said, mate, it's fair play to you for you know coming into this setup with the vulnerability of not having a job afterwards. And like I said, after your disappointment of 2016, I'm rooting for you. Um, you know, hopefully you see you on that plane, and hopefully see you living out your dream. But moving from the field to off the field, you know. You've competed in a pentathlon and you're an accomplished uh, bagpiper. Um, tell tell us a little bit more about these off off field talents of yours. That is one. That was one thing I was going to bring up. Do you know, I was saying in the last camp, people brought something. That was one of the best things I've ever seen. Fans, it was when you brought the bagpipes down for the first time and just started playing them, and then let the boys add a little crack on them as well. These class. I've, I've brought them down with me again. Um, they're in the in the flat in London, so yeah, maybe we could bring them along. I don't know if that's a COVID-safe activity. You'd have to do it over Zoom, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Can you play the bagpipes in a hazmat suit? Is that possible? <laughs> you have to cut a little hole in your mask, I think. Yeah. What other things off field? Uh, any stories from the World Series, Fanza? Um, there definitely are. It's tough when you put on the spot. What, go to this pentathlon first then talk to me about that uh oh that was just i mean when i was growing up um i was uh, yeah athletics and rugby um and yeah uh, it was i think it was the under 18 scotland team pentathlon um i think i came last or second last or something <laughs> but uh yeah no that was it was, it was a good experience really enjoyed it did it help you with your rugby yeah, 
I think um, I think I was very much uh, an athlete that got pulled into rugby. <laughs> so I suppose from that point of view, um, you know, I was quite fast. Um, I didn't really grow. I didn't go through sort of minis rugby or anything like a lot of other a lot of other boys. Um, but I was always I've always been massively competitive. Um, and yeah, as soon as rugby came along, and I and I, I found out I had you know I, because I was quite quick and strong, um, there was something there. Um, I just wanted to get better and better. Um, and yeah, I suppose I've maybe taken it slightly too far by making a career in it. <laughs> you done well, mate. You done well. One thing I always remember about you is you were always a terrific singer, and there was that there was that the video of you that kept emerging on on bus trips. Can you, can you refresh your memory about that? What was that about? Yeah, this follows me everywhere I go. I haven't actually, I've, I've actually had pretty quiet on this front for the past year or so. Um, but yeah, let's bring it people up People don't forget. People, people don't forget, mate. Uh, this was years ago. This was, I lived with uh, Chris Dean. Um, he played a bit of sevens. Um, he was my flatmate for a few years. And I gave him my laptop uh, because I had a hard drive that had suits on it. Um, and he was wanting to watch it. So I gave him the hard drive and he's flicking through um, trying to find wherever it is on it um, and comes across this summer of 69 cover and he was like what's this and I knew exactly what it was behind him I was like oh no um, and it was me when I was I must have been 14 or 15 um, you know bored one weekend and I record I'd got a guitar and learned the the tabs for playing summer 69 and sang it and then that had sat on this hard drive for the past few years um, never thought anything of it and then years later Dino comes across it and he obviously double clicks it and it starts playing and I just froze. And like we all, and it was, and then other guy, Alex Glashen, he's actually played a bit of sevens as well. Three of us are all just sat there in stunned silence as the first chords of Summer of 69 come out. And, and then I like reacted too slowly. He dragged it from the hard drive onto his computer, but I went and grabbed the, grabbed the hard drive off him. Um, but obviously he had it now. So he's recorded it, bang, straight in the WhatsApp group. And it's one of those, every single team I ever go in, into, it's like, bang, and it gets again, like sent in. So yeah, it followed me around that one. I remember being on a bus to a hockey game in Vancouver with all the teams on and someone put it on the speakers through the bus system. And it was like New Zealand were on there, like everyone was absolutely loving it. So I remember that exact bus. I was sat at the back. I was away from like my teammates. So I got onto the bus first, whatever reason. I was sat with the Kiwis at the back, and then it was whatever team it was. And then the Scottish boys were in front, obviously with the mic, and they'd seen me sort of on my own, and they they played it. And then obviously I was sat there just trying to sink into my seat and pretend nothing was happening. And all the Kiwi boys around me were talking about it, being like, "What is going on here? This is fucking shocking." <laughs> <laughs> I was just there trying to trying to yeah, just avoid it all. <laughs> oh, absolutely love that. We've had a we've had a few questions as well. Um, Marcus Bradbury said, "Ask him about his favourite camping chair." <laughs> right, Dockle, Dockle, about this one. I'll be getting the piss taken out of me. So we had this. Um, you know, we talked about how we had these long meetings about our values and what we stand for, and there were some pretty deep conversations. And one of the ideas we had was that you bring an object of value to you, um, and you we went into breakout rooms and you discuss you know, this object um, that means so much to you and why it means so much to you. And the idea was, again, like vulnerability. Um, but it's a difficult thing to do. <laughs> and I I went along the route of thinking like, right, something that's something, an object that makes me happy. And during lockdown, um, me and my missus had got this like camping chair, like fold out thing that was like a sofa style camping chair, double seater that we would take. And we did a few camping trips and, and set it up in some awesome places, camping, um, you know, up on top of hills and we'd have our stove going. And um, it was something that, you know, brought me a lot of happiness, this, this chair. And then even on odd days off, we'd take it down the beach and have a cup of coffee and just sit on it and, you know, watch the sun, whatever. Um, so I brought this thing and I explained this little story about it. Um, but then everyone else's was like, you know, this is the watch of my dead grandma and dad that um whatever this is the this is the something that represent and all these really massively deep stories and then afterwards the after the breakout room i thought i was like oh i brought a fucking camping chair <laughs> and then uh someone said right let's chuck a picture of all our things on the group you know i feel like this is a really yeah. really you know we, we've opened up a lot here everyone chuck on a picture of your thing on the group and i was like am i supposed to send a picture of a camping chair <laughs> So yeah, I told that story and all the boys were like, what the fuck are you doing picking a camping chair? 
Oh, mate, I feel you. You know, if, if there's some beautiful scenery in Scotland, if you sat on that chair taking those views, I, I'd appreciate that. Yeah. Absolutely love it. What did you bring, Doc? What did you bring? What was your idea? So I um I was in the same kind of boat as Farnsley. I was like, I didn't know which way boys would go with it. So I ended up having to I had the um uh the tattoo kind of related to my uncle, which means a lot to me. Um especially before games of rugby, he loved to come and watch that. But then I just had my camera as well. So I had a bit of a toss up. I was like, I'm going to read the room, see where it goes. Um, camera just being like, it's been something that uh, I just really enjoy using, taking pictures, uh, got a bit of work out of it now. Um, and something that's helping spread kind of sevens uh, with the different stuff I do uh, on YouTube. So there's a little plug about an hour and a half in there, 90. Yeah, mate, that's a long time for you. So if you don't know, fans, Doc likes to plug his life in every episode. So, you know, I'll put it on the tally chart. I think he's he's back in front of Harry, but an hour and a half, that's, you know, you've been, I can see it bubbling inside you. You've been wanting to get out for a, a quite a while, haven't you? Where's uh, where's Harry? Is he, is he, is he full-time media man now over there? He's busy documenting game. He is. He's been locked in. He's doing some lizard wrestling with Gitto and uh, Adam Ashton Cooper because they won on the weekend, I think. Initiation. Funny story, I was hoping he was going to be on. Um, so the flat I'm staying in just now is um, Katie, my girlfriend's um, flatmate's place. Um, she's actually moving back to Australia, but um, she matched with him on Bumble or whatever <laughs> over in Dublin. So I was going to ask him about that because I don't know whether I don't know whether it's whether it's a small world or whether he's just got a lot of Bumble matches. How, how far's her radius on? She hitting him from London. Jesus. <laughs> just make up a story. About, he's not here to do, defend himself. Just yeah. make up some ridiculous story about like how he just went in really bold or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I'll need to find out the chat up line. Let you boys know. Well, what was her what was her first line? Because she she'd have to start that on Bumble, wouldn't she? Yeah, I don't know. I'll need to find out and let you know. For another time. I'm looking forward to hearing that. I want to see what type of game Harry's got. Oh, he could talk the back legs off a donkey, couldn't he? Yeah, that, that's that's very true. Very true. I've got some quick fire ones to finish, but Doc, do you have anything else you want to pitch to find uh, before we... the uh the socials have been pretty busy again, nighty. Um, particularly the Club Penguin one. Uh, so there was an O Colin Isau, just wanted to say he's really enjoying how you've been presenting and uh, just loving the pod. Nice guy. Real nice guy. Not so nice when he get, nearly gouged my eyes out in uh, the Gold Coast in 2014. That that was an enjoyable experience, but good to say he's uh, he's back on, on my, my side now. So, Fads, there's some cu- couple of quick fire questions to finish. Um, start off with the best player you've played with on the sevens, on the sevens circuit. Um, it's not quick fire, is it? I've, Robbo's coming to you know Robbo was awesome for me I've already touched on that um, so in terms of what I owe him definitely Robbo Nice um, best player you've played against and the player you least liked playing against so two different ones there um, Revovo I've always found difficult to to stop when he gets going that's fair um, so he'd probably yeah he'd probably be, be both both on that list nice Um Favourite tournament to play in? What was your favourite tournament of the series? Um, in terms of a tournament, it has to be Hong Kong. Absolutely love it. There's nothing like Hong Kong. I think all three of us know that. Um, but in terms of places, Vancouver, I always, I always enjoyed Vancouver. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. That Everyone loves Vancouver. And I think they do the tournament so well. That it, you know, It's just a, a credit to them. And like you said, Hong Kong's an incredible tournament. I don't think you're going to beat that for atmosphere. Do you have a favourite night out of any of the tournaments? What was your favourite place for having a beer at? Vancouver, definitely. Roxy. <laughs> I've had some... Correct. Good good Correct. memories there. Best best tourist? I mean, Robbo. We're, we're answering all these questions the same. Uh... <laughs> but Robbo, definitely. <laughs> He was good fun when we were away. He's getting a lot of praise here. I'll have to, I'll have to listen in. Worst tourist? Worst tourist. Um, I mean, not worst tourist. He was one of the most incredible players I played with, but Darcy Graham, I room with him for a week. And he, the snoring, the noise he makes <laughs> for a wee fella is unbelievable. I think I had my um, bed over, like, on the other side of the room, like, earplugs in and still, still breaking through. So <laughs> it was a tough week. 
I guess that's the benefit now of COVID. You got you get your own room. You don't have to deal with the, the snorers, do you? Oh, yeah. Spot on. Anyway, fans, thank you very much uh, for joining us on the Alakadoo. It's been an absolute pleasure. Doc as well, thank you very much. Uh, remember, don't worry about finding us on social media. We'll we'll find you. Uh, like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Diochenbao, thank you very much. Diochenbao, bye.